right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything different? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Uh, joining me today is Mr. Scott Harrington. Uh, Scott, I know you've done a lot of interviews in the last couple of weeks. Is this the most media request you've ever had in your entire career? I would imagine so. Oh no! I, I think my uh, you know my 14th place showing in the <laughs> 2000 and. Eight uh, greater Wichita Open probably <laughs> commanded a little more, but you know this is a close second. Well, I'm just so so sorry we missed you back in the in the O eight, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we're glad to have caught you now. But yeah. um, your story's been pretty pretty well covered. But man, I think this is the only uh, only podcast I've ever prepared for where I actually like teared up a little bit while reading and and uh, getting prepared for it. So I'm excited for people to hear your story. I know some people have probably read about it, and I know we talked about. Uh, you getting your card at the uh, in Portland a few weeks ago, but you are headed to the PGA Tour next year, and we're going to get to all that stuff. But I want to hear, you know, you've been playing golf professionally for 16 years. This is your first time heading to the PGA Tour. Do you, do you, I'm curious, do you have any stats that you've kept over your years on how many professional events you've played in, miles you've traveled, hotel nights, or anything like that that you can, that you can wow us with? Well, that would just be depressing to me, but um, – <laughs> No, I mean, I haven't. Re- I mean, I do know on the nationwide slash web dot com slash corn fairy, I've played them all. And I know <laughs> I'm somewhere in the 190s just on those tours. But that also doesn't count the, uh, you know, pretty much most of my 20s. I mean, I did have some nationwide tours, like a couple of years when I was a lot younger in my 20s. I wasn't any good, but I did play on the nation on the on the tour and uh, on the nationwide tour back then. But I mean, I spent a lot of years on the mini tours, pretty much played all of them, a couple of the ones that folded. Um, you know, I've kind of I've kind of seen it all except at the highest, you know, the highest PGA Tour level of, you know, I've kind of experienced it all, I feel like, um, the ups and downs and all that. But, no, uh, I don't keep track of the, the mileage or events played. I feel like that would just put me into a dark funk. <laughs> I was going to say. I'm actually kind of thankful that you haven't, but uh, you are no no need to fret. You are going to be just a few weeks here. You're going to be uh, playing in your first PJ Tour events. But let's go back way back to the beginning. Kind of your background on golf, where you went to school, and kind of what your expectations, I guess, for professional mm-hmm. golf were immediately after college, as you turned pro. Sure. I mean, I, you know, I went. I grew up in Oregon and Portland. I was a good junior player. I mean, I was a good. Uh, regional player i mean i would say i wasn't super well known nationally um you know but i was a very good player on the west coast and in the northwest and you know i had plenty of opportunities to go to a you know a lot of great schools um predominantly in the pack you know the pack 12 and uh but ultimately i decided to go to northwestern um team was really good at the time luke donald had been there a couple of years the team was you know kind of top five in the country we had a great coach and you know i went there i went away for school loved it um it was something i am really glad i did uh, but you know, you know i had a good i had a good college career i you know probably not spectacular i never was an all-american my senior year i was probably pretty darn close but uh you know i had one college win maybe a few seconds and you know played on some good teams and um but really you know i, I knew i want i knew i was going to turn pro um however i also thought the journey for me was going to be 
a bit of a, a long one. I mean, I, I, just because I wasn't a campus kid or anything like that. And frankly, so like my first Q school I ever went to was uh, the fall of 2003, right after I graduated. And um, I actually made it all the way to final stage, which was, you know, frankly, kind of a shock to me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, back then, you know, you were playing for a PGA Tour card at final stage. Sure. And, I mean, I played, I played really poorly there. And, you know, but I, but that got me onto the nationwide tour at the time. And um, I was kind of a conditional status player and wasn't getting, wasn't getting a lot of starts, but I was getting some opportunities and missed, I, I don't know how many. I have it here if you want to hear. You, I, uh, okay. you, uh, you played in 19 events in 2004 and you missed 16 of the cuts. Okay. So I probably missed. I started my career out there missing, I'm just going to guess, seven, eight, or nine, or ten cuts in a row. I don't know how many it is, but then the first cut I actually made was in Wichita, and I actually played a great final round. I remember I was paired with Bubba Watson, and uh, played a great final round, and got into a playoff. I was in a four-man playoff, (laughs) and ultimately lost, predictably, Um, but, you know, I tied for second, and, you know, that really excited me a lot and but i didn't really take any of that momentum with me the rest of the the rest of the year i think i yeah i've enjoyed, got it it's i think your, i enjoyed the fruits of that second a little too much <laughs> that carry over for about a month and a half and, and ultimately i finished just outside the top 100 and lost my last lost all my status on that tour and and uh you know back to the mini tours after that for about three maybe i don't know four four years or something like that so what's yeah? I have you. You missed your first eight cuts, and then you finished tied for second, and then you missed your next five cuts after that. So it awesome. was uh, a bit hit or miss. So all right. So you go back to midi tours. What is what's life like at that point? I mean, are you trying to Monday into any nationwide events at that sure. point? Yeah, or, yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. so I imagine you're just jet setting, running all over, flying, driving anywhere just to play anywhere that that'll have you. Pretty much. Um, you know, I think I. Might have gone up to Canada, you know, the old Canadian tour the following year. But yeah, playing a lot of, you know, the Gateway tour in Arizona was a real big one back then. There, you could actually make some money, and um, you know, yeah, I just did that. And you know, I, I had, I, I, I think I had a little, I had some success, not not a lot, um, but ultimately, I think it was 2008. I got back onto the. Web, I think by this, I think I don't think it was a nationwide tour, and maybe mid-season switched to web.com, and you know got back onto that tour, and again played really. I played really poorly that year. I mean, I think I was conditional again, and you know wasn't getting many starts, and did virtually nothing, trying to Monday qualify every you know every event that I wasn't into, and you know it's just that's a tough. It is really tough being a conditional player because um, there's no rhythm to it at all. Yeah, I would imagine. yeah. You know, you're you're trying to you're trying to Monday into tournaments, but you also are trying to you know get in play mini tour events. You know, you need to get in some competition, get in some three round events, four round events, anything you can. I mean, just you know, playing a bunch of Monday qualifiers isn't really indicative of it can be it can really beat you down because you can you can be playing pretty good and have nothing to show for it and you know it's such a crapshoot trying to get in those things and then you know when you do get in you have all this pressure you're putting on yourself especially as a conditional player because you're trying to make some money and get into the reshuffle you just don't know when your next chance is going to be so you know i think that was 08 that was a bad bad year and but things for me really started to kind of take off around kind of probably that following 2009 2010 um you know i didn't i didn't get back 
onto the web.com until the middle of 12. But um, I had about two, three years there. It was right around probably age 29, 30, where I really started to kind of figure things out. And um, what does that know, mean? I mean, what, what was going wrong at that point? And what did what, what was the turning point or what, what changed in your game? I'm sure part of it was with my game. But I think part of it was just I was getting a little older. And, you know, I went back in my mid-20s. I mean, I was kind of like a lot of guys having fun, playing professional golf. Not, I mean, taking it seriously. But, you know, it's just, you know, the, probably enjoying social life a little too much. And, you know, maybe not putting, you know, I thought I was working hard, but probably not doing everything that I needed to be doing. And just, uh, you know, kind of falling into the rut that... You know, it was pretty easy to, you know, a lot of our tournaments on the mini tours are during, you know, they might be a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then you kind of have your weekend, uh, I don't know, make some bad decisions or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But um, I just think I just got, a, I was just getting older and I was just maturing a little bit. And, and it was kind of like once I started to have quite a bit of success at the mini tour level in those years, you kind of like was getting a taste of it. Like it really made me want more. And like, I wasn't, you know, when I was younger, I'd have success and I would kind of be content a little bit maybe. But as I got a little bit older, it was like, I'd have, I'd have the success and I was really starting to, I was winning a lot of mini tour events and making actually like making pretty, pretty darn good money. There was still pretty good money in some of these, you know, you're making 25 grand, a lot of these tournaments for these wins. And uh, you know, these years I, it seems like I was contending every single time I played and I'd win, you know, three, four a year and have a bunch of seconds and thirds and some pretty, you know, big fields. And, and it just kind of motive. it just kind of kept me getting more motivated. And, um, it's a lot better than like, than say, you know, middling and missing a ton of cuts on mm-hmm. the web doc or nationwide tour at the time, I would imagine. Absolutely. I mean, and, uh, yeah, you know, it's just, and also around this time, I I was able I was really fortunate to be able to to join up at uh up at Whisper Rock in Scottsdale um where I live and I got to be around um a lot of guys who were killing it at the highest level and I got to play with you know they were in my daily games and I kind of got to see that like yeah I'm at this mini tour level it, it, on paper it looked like I'm a long ways away from where they're at but I could tell that my game stacked up really well and to be able to go out there and play with, you know, the Ches Reeves or the Kevin Strillmans, or I mean, guys like there were, there's a, you know, there's Jeff Ogilvy's, mm-hmm. like there's, there's tons of them up there, and I played with them all the time, and I saw that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm beating these guys, you know, as much as they're beating me, and I stack up pretty good. But but I, but during this time, I kept, I would go to, I would have these great years, and you know, win a bunch of tournaments and do really well, and then I'd go to Q School, and for about three years in a row, it would just you know, I'd flame out at second stage and, um, it'd be, it'd be really disappointing. Cause I, at that point I felt like I was really ready to, to get back on the web.com tour and go make a run at the tour at the main tour. And, you know, unfortunately I just kind of be, I was just kind of stuck for a few years, uh, playing the, playing the main tours. And well, I imagine too, it's gotta be kind of what you just touched on there you know, when you're playing the mini tours, you're around guys that are playing mini tours, right? And it's mm-hmm. as much as, you know, the, you had success out there, that's not where you want to end up, obviously. So you're not, uh, Joel Damon said something really interesting when he was saying he's playing the Canadian tour. You know, he was partying pretty hard and he's been out there four or five years and he started to look around and be like, oh yeah, the guys that are really succeeding out here are not hanging around us that are going out every night. Like they're the one, you know, 
Totally. So, like, you can get in this. Like, I imagine getting the games in Whisper Rock. You saw the habits and this particular things those guys did really well, and you would learn from that. And as well, seeing that your game stacked up pretty well as it was, had to be an enormous confidence builder. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you just kind of have to look at yourself really honestly and being kind of you know like hey and i feel like i've done i've I've been good about this for a long time you have to be really honest with yourself about you know what your inefficiencies are whether it's whether it's in your game or in your lifestyle or in your practice habits and you know i feel like there's plenty of players most of whom don't you know don't ever end up making it who you know they they might not they might not look at their at their games of their life very honestly that you know they think that they're working harder, working at the right things. But I mean, if you go out there and you do the same stuff every single day and it's not, and you're not really, you know, making the improvements that are necessary, I mean, you need to change things up and, um, you know, yeah. So, I mean, I, I went through a little bit of that and, uh, you just gotta be honest with yourself when it comes to that stuff. And, and, but there's no doubt, I mean, being surrounded by, uh, guys who are around my age and really doing well. I mean, I could, I could, see a difference in them and yeah sure a lot of those guys still like to have their fun and whatnot but i mean they have their priorities are in order and you know i just needed to yeah i needed to adjust that a little bit but really for me i feel like it was once i got a taste of like kind of some sustained success be it at a at the mini tour level i just i kind of just wanted more and every time i would you know win a tournament or finish second i would just be that much more excited to go do it again it was pretty it was pretty addicting all right, a quick break here for uh, maybe the most excited I've ever been to, to make an interruption to the show, but wait, wait till you hear the synergy on this one. But hopefully you guys saw the news that broke on uh, Monday regarding Steph Curry. There was a great article in the Washington Post and how he is personally funding and basically starting a golf program, both men's and women's, at Howard University. Uh, he met some kids that played golf, kind of were trying to form a club golf team at Howard and found out that they did not have a – an actual program there, and he's personally writing a seven-figure check to sponsor the program for six years with the hopes that uh, the program can become self-sustaining at that point, which is pretty incredible. And Callaway is a part of the deal as well. They are going to be the exclusive equipment provider for Howard. They're going to be fitting the entire team, both the men's and women's teams, and providing them with equipment throughout that time period. Uh, And you'll hear later in the show as well as what Steph Curry's relationship is with Scott Harrington and how he also helped out uh, their family when they were uh, in need. And uh, it's a pretty amazing story that you're going to hear coming up. So uh, shout out to Steph Curry. I continue to be impressed with his involvement in the game of golf. And I do encourage you guys. I I retweeted the link that Chad shared this uh, yesterday on Monday regarding the Washington Post article. I do recommend that you read it. And uh, I'm not a big fan of the grow the game hashtag. I've talked about that a lot, but this seems to be an honest and true step in the right direction. It was something that he did not have to do, and uh, it's a really inspiring story. So shout out to Steph Curry for that and uh, for Callaway for being the equipment provider for Howard. Now let's get back to our interview with Scott Harrington. Well, yeah, and, you know, I had this question down, and I think you may have kind of already somewhat answered it. I was expecting the answer to be yes, but it doesn't seem to be because of the success you had in the mini tours. But in that time period, you know, in the late, in the late, like 2009 through 2011, were you ever considering giving up on professional golf or at any time during your time on the mini tours? Did you ever, were you ever close to hanging it up? Um, Not, the answer is no, but it was also, you know, back then I was, pretty reliant on sponsors and uh people helping me out because i because financially you know probably up until that point you know i wasn't breaking even 
at least for those first, you know, I turned pro in 2003 and for those probably the first six years, I mean, I was, I, I was far from breaking even and, uh, we actually kind of made a decision, you know, I, I might've had one or two good years on the mini tour. I I'd kind of always decided that, you know, as long as I, I wanted to keep playing and as long as financially I could make it happen, um, whether it was, you know, at that time it was with sponsors and then I was going to keep doing it because, you know, that's what I, it's what I really want to do. And Hey, it's a, it's a, it's a great life when things are going well. And, uh, you know, and I, I still thought I had, I knew that my good golf was, good enough but just back then my bad my average golf or when i didn't have it it just wasn't remotely good enough and that's kind of why it was so many missed cuts and um it was very very hit or miss but um as long as i could you know keep paying the bills and um then i was going to keep going and but but around that time you know sponsors you know the people who had been with me a long time it kind of started to dry up and uh really ultimately after maybe one or two good mini tour years, kind of in my late twenties, around the age of thirty, I ended up uh, going out on my own and uh, and paying for it all myself. And that was a big. I knew that was kind of a that was going to be make or break. I mean, you know, like you go through a rough two, three, four month stretch, and I mean it, that gets very, very costly. And I was so I made that decision to go it alone, and um, fortunately, I played i kept playing well and um had a couple more good years on the mini tours and and was in pretty profitable and was able to kind of self-sustain my career but there was but the drive the drive never really went away the mm -hmm. lifestyle didn't bother me you know i i you know kind of i'd been doing it for frankly my whole life you know traveling and i mean going away for college and just you know all that stuff uh you know, while I don't really love the travel and everything. It's just, I've been doing it so long that it's just a part of what we do. And, you know, at the time I wasn't married yet. I was, you know, so I didn't have those, you know, the kind of the, the ties at home keeping me here. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I stayed pretty much pretty driven and always wanted to do it as long as I could keep the lights on. Well, uh, that's kind of what I wanted to get into next too. Was you know, it's you, you met who would soon become your wife in 2011. So, what's mm -hmm. it? What is dating life like for a guy that travels all over the place and is playing mini tours? How do you make the sale to uh, to Jennifer, who ended up becoming your wife? Yeah, I remember when we went out. I was so I was still playing. Uh, I was on the mini tours, but doing well. And it is a bit of a you know, she knew. She knew some some golfers, um, and she kind of knew a bit about uh, about kind of what I was doing, and she also knew that you know I'm sure I've never actually really asked her about you know what what she thought of what I did at the time, being you know a, a, a mini tour golfer, and you know in Arizona there's a lot you you run into a lot of those people. It's easy to meet those guys. There's no fascination with being you know a professional golfer here in arizona because there's so many around here you know most of them aren't really aren't really uh you know, aren't really crushing it but uh she didn't have a she didn't have any issue with it and, and, but fortunately like kind of right after we started dating um it was really like that next year where i kind of had my big break um so to say and i mean it was in 2012 uh, I was still, I still had no status on the, on the web, but I'd been doing well. And, you know, I, I Monday qualified into the web.com event in Springfield, Missouri and lost in a playoff there, uh, with actually a, another Northwestern golfer. Um, and 
that finish, uh, so I got solo second in that event, and that, that finish, the money I made, and that gave me status on the tour for the rest of that year. And I played well enough to be uh, an, ex- an exempt player on the tour the next year. So there wasn't that much time. It was probably only seven, eight months that we had been dating and before I kind of got on the web, but I mean, she knew at that point, my lifestyle had, you know, settled down and, um, you know, I was really into my golf and, you know, it hadn't become any kind of issue or anything, my travel. And, you know, she was coming out to some tournaments and it was probably kind of fun for her to get out of, you know, get out of Arizona mm-hmm. and come to some tournaments and watch. But, uh, yeah, no, I, it'd be an interesting question for her. Like, Hey, what did, what did you think of my, uh, profession at the time or my uh, my prospects at the time but you know fortunately she just you know loved me for me and um you know she i think but she's always she's always been confident that in my ability and um you know and that i would ultimately make it we didn't think it'd probably take this long but uh you know she's been there ever since day one well i was gonna say i, I had that on the list too to ask you about how out of nowhere you it was only your second event that you had played that year in 2012 and you finished mm-hmm. second at the price cutter but that just goes to show like why guys go out to Monday qualify like you can catch lightning Absolutely. in a bottle and it's the only way into some of these tournaments and it's a it's a stressful lifestyle and you could like you said earlier you could play really well in Monday qualifiers and have nothing to show for it at the end of it because you got to just take it so deep on that one day but you're kind of the the, the prime example of what somebody that made it out the other end of those. So, uh, so you start, you, you, you said you re- retained status and you've kind of, you kind of maintained status through a number of ways, uh, on the corn ferry, basically since 2012, if I'm understanding it right, yes. uh, it looks like a couple yeah. conditional years in there maybe, but there was, there was one year probably around 15 or so. There was one year that I had a admittedly a bad year. I, I ultimately finished a hundred on the money list which was actually huge. If I would have finished 101, I would have had nothing. But I finished 100th, maintained conditional, albeit a very poor conditional card. But the next year, I was able to get a sponsor exemption into an event and do okay. And I Mondayed into an event and did okay. And that those two finishes let me reshuffle. And I fortunately played well the rest of the year after that and, and was able to you know maintain get, get my full exempt status back. But yeah, for the most part, since 2012... I've been able to pretty much, you know, pick and, you know, pick my schedule and be an exempt player. And, you know, yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like I've been a, I've been a good corn fairy player. I haven't been a great one. I've been able to qualify for our finals pretty much every year. Uh, and with the exception of one and, you know, be a full exempt player, be a, you know, a guy who now, I, you know, I was making a lot of cuts. I didn't have a lot of, great finishes but i i was starting to you know i was making kind of 70 percent of my cuts and a lot of finishes you know 25th place finishes occasional top 10 but you know not many but i was you know i was i was doing fine and um you know every year i was giving myself a chance at the at the corn Ferry finals to you know get a pga tour card and i'd come up short and then go back out of the next year well, and that's you know something we harp on on this podcast whenever we get an opportunity to. I mean, we live uh, in Jacksonville where a lot of Corn Ferry players live and just the few guys that we have starred in our apps and root for every week. Like People don't understand how hard it is just to maintain status on Corn Ferry. So you kind of are not somewhat dismissive, but at least somewhat dismissive of you know being a solid Corn Ferry player tour and retaining that status. But that is not a guarantee. I mean, I see you know there's guys that we root for that are in their 40s that just lost their status for next year on the Corn Ferry. And 
it's it's a it's a tough life and it's not uh not something to be taken for granted all because of the things you said earlier about how many years you spent playing mini tours for just dying for some status on the on the corn fairy totally. tour so and, and, I, and i think i had i had enough years like i i did appreciate what i was accomplishing like it, like you said like it is an accomplishment to finish top 75 and and be a full exempt player and i had and i feel like even to this day like i've i had so many years playing mini tours where all i wanted was to be on this tour or i mean not all i wanted but you know that was the next step and i just that i still appreciate being on this tour and how difficult it is and i've also watched it become this tour has gotten so much stronger in the last you know since i came back out here in 2012 and especially since i started you know my first year in 2004 um i mean the quality of play is just is just getting better and better and i mean the margin between the the pga and the corn fairy is has just never been thinner i mean it is it is just razor thin the difference i mean really the difference is just is i kind of feel like in most degree it's just yeah those top 50 in the world top 60 in the world like those guys yeah they're better i mean i'll i'll say it like there's no question i mean they're they've just been doing it longer and they're probably a little more talented and mentally sharper and yeah they're they're great and they've earned those rankings but i mean you start going down past you know 100 in the world to all the way to pretty much a thousand i mean there's there's virtually no difference in uh in those players but to go along with something you're just saying like i just just in portland i thursday friday i was playing with a friend of mine brett Druitt, and he was on the pj tour i think either last year or two years ago really a good player very solid and we were talking and because he hasn't had the greatest year um at the time going into portland he was right around the hundred bubble and we were talking during the round and he was just kind of talking about his year a little bit. And he was telling me how he really felt like he had played good golf this year. He felt like his game had been really strong. It just the difference, you know, I don't know how many cuts he told me he had missed by one. And then just, you know, just little things in tournaments, you know, just one mistake here that keeps you from finishing, you know, instead of finishing 10th, you finish 28th. And, you know, those kind of finishes – while it's still, you probably played, you know, you can finish 25th and play and have a, feel like you had a good week. And, um, but those differences just, they're so slight, but they make such a big difference at the end of the day. And, you know, ultimately he ended up having a, a pretty strong week in Portland and moved up the list. And, you know, I think he'll have, I think he has to go back to Q school, but it just shows, you know, he said, he was like, and he's a very good player. And he's like, you know, I feel like I've played pretty darn well this year. And yet he was, you know, probably 98 on the money list going in. I mean, just the, like you said, it's, it's, it's such a fine line between um, what would be considered a successful year and on paper, an unsuccessful year. And really like the difference for me is, you know, I have, I've kind of lacked for a number of years, kind of those top threes that you need. Yeah. To, that's what I was just getting ready to say is you yeah. can play a lot of great golf, finish T20, you know, 80% of the weeks. And if you don't have it's the enough. huge finishes, it doesn't do anything for you. And exactly. And I was curious to pick your, like, if you think, you know, the current system with points like for corn Ferry and the FedEx and the way it's done, it's just, you know, I just, the more I look at it and I, I go back and forth on it because I know you need a lot of points to and as a reward to somebody who's won a tournament, but it just seems crazy that you know you get two hundred less points to finish for finishing second at a corn ferry event. If you finish one shot behind one other person, it's the difference in two hundred points. That difference seems really, really big for having guys' livelihoods kind of depend on that. You know what I mean? Is it the best representation of who's playing the best golf? Is my question. Well, it's a tough one. Um, 
I think, I mean, now, now the points are pretty much uh, the same. It's a similar breakdown to what the purse is. You know, second place gets, you know, sure. roughly 60%, so maybe 65% of what the winner gets. Um, and, they, you know, they've had this structure for so long. And um, it, it just, it what, what really kind of is tough, and this happens on our tour all the time, is you might lose a tournament by two shots. I think I actually did this. I think in Lafayette this year, I did this. I lost the tournament by two shots, yet I finished tied for sixth with, like, you know, three guys. I mean, you're talking coming to the last two holes with a chance to win, and, you know, I finished fine, you know, par-par or something like that. And, and and next thing you know, you're getting tied for six points, and, yeah, I mean, you're not – it's a nice finish, but probably not quite indicative of how well you played. But I think it is fair, and I think – I, I'm a big fan, as are pretty much all the players of the point system mm-hmm. um, in general. I think we were real happy to, to finally go from money to points because on our tour, our fields are the same. Like pretty much everybody, everybody plays almost every event. So our fields are 90% the same. You're playing the same people every single week. You know, on the PGA Tour, the field at, say, the Byron Nelson is a lot different from the field at the Memorial. Mm-hmm. And so all our tournaments should be weighted the same because we're we're beating the exact same people just because one tournament happens to have a five hundred fifty thousand dollar purse and another tournament has an eight hundred thousand dollar purse. You beat the exact same guys. So um, I think everybody and there have been too many instances where there would be guys who won a tournament. I remember a couple of years ago, James Driscoll won our event in Nashville, and it was a five. It was the low. You know, it was a the lower purse event, 550, he got maybe 99,000 for the win. If he had won, he beat the same guys as everybody else who won a tournament beat. And at the end of the year, he ended up miss, he ended up not finishing top 25 by like six or $7,000. And if he would have won literally any other tournament, <laughs> he would have had his tour card, but just so happened. It was just unlucky that it happened to be one with a smaller purse, you know, and he didn't get his card. I mean, that's just, that's kind of unfortunate, you know, we, yeah. So I, I think it's good every tournament's weighed the same. Yep. No, that, that makes sense. Um, so I think this is probably as good a time as any to kind of transition to the part that I know you've been getting asked about uh, the most over the last few weeks. And I think uh, the Golf Channel did a pretty amazing job telling your your family's story. They're coming down the stretch. But going back, I want you to, if you can, walk us through kind of the sequence of events and the timeline that eventually led to your wife's diagnosis. When did she start realizing things were not quite right with her and how long did uh, the whole process take before she was finally, uh, finally diagnosed, man, it's been, uh, I would say at this point, it's probably been going on for about three and a half years. Um, I would say it was about a year and a half before she actually got diagnosed that she just wasn't feeling right. And just noticing she's very in tune with her body and just noticing things, whether it's fatigue or muscle aches or to clarify it's a Hodgkin's lymphoma. I didn't mention the actual diagnosis, but sorry, continue. Yeah. So, you know, she just hadn't been feeling and and she's a very healthy girl. She take really takes care of herself. has always eat very, eaten very clean and exercises and big, big runner. I mean, just, you know, very, very healthy. And they're just, you know, for a girl who was in her mid thirties, um, you know, this just didn't seem right. And, uh, you know, she saw, many you know many doctors of you know who study all sorts of stuff and um pretty much we never really you know we'd get some 
opinions from people, but people, I don't know. People, doctors didn't seem like we're really taking her all that seriously. It just seemed like her, you know, her symptoms were very general and there were things that could be any, any number of things. So, I mean, so many tests run and blood works and I mean, there's just, there was just so much stuff and we were never really able to pinpoint it, but she mainly, you know, she's a, she's pretty, uh, now she, she, she pretty much got after it online and, you know, she, as, as a lot of people do when they're trying to, you know, figure out something that's going on with them. And, you know, I mean, that can kind of lead you into some interesting things. You know, you can pretty much, you could pretty much, you could have a headache and then, you know, an hour later convince yourself you have a brain tumor when you, when you get right. to, uh, you know, get too deep online. But, um, one thing that, kept coming up in all her research with all her symptoms was, uh, was lymphoma. And, you know, she would mention this to doctors and, um, and, and, you know, nobody, nobody thought this, that that was going to be the, that that was going to be the diagnosis. They didn't really take it all that seriously, but, um, you know, she ended up, ended up getting in for a biopsy. Somebody finally kind of ordered one up to, uh, to check things, to check things out and to, and to look for this. And this was actually about probably a month or two before we were getting married and she was very nervous. She was pretty much convinced that she had, uh, cancer and, but the biopsy came back negative and we were thrilled and very, you know, very happy. We got married and we kind of had this weight that was seemed like it had been lifted off our shoulders a little bit, but the fact remained that she still didn't she still didn't feel very good at all. And over the course that was in uh, December of 16, I believe. And over the course of like the first half of the next year, her kind of some of her symptoms were only only getting a little bit worse. And uh, ultimately another doctor ended up ordering a different kind of biopsy, which, you know, this, so this was like end of summer of 17 and that came back uh, positive for Hodgkin's lymphoma. So, um, you know, that was pretty much right towards the end of my season that year. Actually, we found out right before my, right before I was about to start the web finals at the time. And, uh, yeah, so that kind of started the, started the process of, you know, we attacked it with chemo and which was, which was pretty brutal. We did about three or four months of chemo and she was able to get into remission, which was great. And, um, but then, you know, you go, you, then you get these, uh, scans every six months to, to check for, to see, to make sure your cancer is gone. And the first scan she got, uh, at her six month mark, um, came back, came back, uh, positive that her, that her lymphoma had, uh, returned. And that was, about may of may of last year and uh yeah that's when i'd take take time off and yeah so what what how do you possibly make a decision at that point i mean i guess this i don't want to say the decision was easy but your your instinct was immediately you had to be home so what do you what do you do with the tour what what happens to your status what happens career-wise and then what happens for you personally so pretty much uh i found out i was in knoxville tennessee playing our event it was a Friday, she was getting her test results on Friday, the day I was playing my second round. And uh, I think it's been written about a little bit, but I remember she was, she wasn't going to let me know what the, we were expecting very positive results. Um, there was only a 10% chance of recurrence and, but we had kind of agreed she wasn't going to bother me during the round. She was going to let me play. And then, you know, ideally she was going to give me the good news when I got done. 
but I knew her. I knew she would text me as soon as she got the good results. I had my phone on all around. Uh, you know, I kind of noticed that hey, nothing was coming through. And, um, you know, I kept checking my phone and yeah, I just, you know, I'm sitting there on the back nine. I think I was literally like kind of on the cut line. I just had, you know, I was trying to make the cut and I was, but I was getting all freaked out that, um, you know, she hadn't let me know. And sure enough, uh, finished the round and, um, you know, talked to her immediately. And obviously she broke the news to me that, uh, yeah, it had come back and that was, it was brutal. Um, I knew at that point, that I was, that I was going to, cause this at the first time she got it, it was right at the end of my season and we weren't starting treatments till after the, you know, pretty much right at the end, you know, when I was essentially done with the finals. And, but this time the timing, there's never, a, there's never a good timing for this stuff, right. but, um, there was no doubt. I mean, when I, it wasn't even a question, uh, I was going to stop playing. I went to our next week, our next event in Greenville, South Carolina, mainly because um, all the tour brass, I need, I just needed to sit down with them, talk with them about this stuff, talk with them about my, the options, you know, for my playing status. And so I went there and met with Dan Glaude, who was the commissioner of the time and Marty Caffey. And uh, we, you know, we, we talked about it a bunch and I mean, fortunately they have a provision in place called a family medical crisis or family crisis medical extension and which I hundred percent qualified for and was able to stop my, stop my season without, um, losing my status. I would just kind of, it's kind of the same conditions as a regular medical, if you tear your ACL or something like that. And, uh, yeah, so I stopped immediately and went home for the yeah i was pretty much home by june and because we had to start we had to start treatment soon after and uh pretty much right away it was a brutal process went through about four months of chemo this the chemo she was doing did not did not work did not get any results so they had to switch up the regimen again started a different chemo did that for about two and a half months and fortunately that did that did work, got her into remission, which was awesome. But then we had to do a, uh, she had to do a bone marrow transplant, which um, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. It was a brutal, just an absolutely brutal uh, process that unfortunately is kind of necessary when you have a relapse um, with lymphoma. And yeah, I mean, that was just a, that was a pretty dark, I mean, the whole, that whole summer and fall was a, was an awful time. And fortunately, you know, she was able to fight her way through that. And, uh, that pretty much got us to, that took us up to right at the beginning of this season. I mean, I actually couldn't go to our first event in the Bahamas because she wasn't well enough. And, um, yeah, I mean, but she wanted me to start this season with everybody else because she knows, she knows that, you know, if I wait till March or April to start playing, I mean, you know, she wants me to get on tour as bad as I do. And, um, you know, she understood that, you know, we don't have tons of tournaments out here. We don't have 35 events. And, um, you know, she knew that, hey, if I'm sacrificing three months of the year, I just got to play that much better to get top 25. I mean, much, I mean, even top 75 would be a bit, could be a bit of a chore if you're starting so late, especially with the rust I was going to uh, inevitably have. Yeah. Well, there's a, a lot to, lot to touch on there. I think, well, one of the things I think I read in the uh, Golf World mag, uh, article 
about you and uh, your situation was uh, what requiring with the bone marrow transplant, the quarantine that was provided. I was yeah. wondering if you could take us kind of through, because uh, you, you you touch on how dark of a time it was, but really it's kind of hard to really understand without some of the details that were in that really kind of shocked me. And, uh, and I was wondering if you could tell us about that. Yeah. So essentially um, in that process, I mean, the bone marrow transplant, there's some stuff you got to do beforehand. You go through what's called high dose chemo. You do it. I think she did it for about a couple weeks that get, that makes you very ill, but then, so they're pretty much taking your immune system down to zero. Uh, and then you're admitted to the, you're, you know, you're admitted to the hospital and you're there for pretty much three weeks. And yeah, so you have zero immune system and they just have to be, you know, crazy paranoid about everything. I mean, just everything you're putting in your body, germs, you know, all that stuff, because you're just incredibly sensitive. You know, if you get any kind of virus or, I mean, this stuff can be, you know, it can be lethal. And, you know, there was, yeah, you know, we, her caretaker, you know, myself, I was going to be the primary caretaker, obviously, but her parents and my parents um, were also around, you know, we, we got schooled, you know, there's kind of a class you go to that, teaches you on, you know, how to care for a patient with, uh, the susceptibility that she was going to have. And, you know, but yeah, we, you know, we, we, we kind of got the hang of it, it you know, but it, it's a lot of work she required. Uh, so she, when she was in the hospital, they obviously, she was monitored by nurses 24 seven and, um, but visitors, you know, yeah, we could visit, but she, she, you know, she kind of, she kept her circle really small. Um, it's pretty much just immediate family and, um, you know, all our, you know, our friends, our friends all have, you know, they all have kids and, you know, anybody who's been around a kid, you know, especially a baby, um, you know, with how much stuff they contract being in York's kids, being in schools, you know, anybody who had kids pretty much had to stay away, which pretty much took all her friends out of the picture. And I mean, yeah, it was just, it was, it was and, and, and to go along with all this, I mean, there was, I mean, there had been a lot of sickness along throughout all this, but I mean, the, the time in the hospital was, I mean, man, it's, it's tough to even think about like the, just seeing her, you know, a couple weeks straight where you pretty much can't have any solid food and everything you put in your body essentially comes back up. I mean, it's, it's a, it was a tough deal and we, what we're fortunate. I mean, we had amazing care. We were at the Mayo Clinic here in Scottsdale and I mean, just great nurses, great doctors, great staff. I mean, it's just, uh, that's a kind of a thankless profession. And we, uh, that's it, man, what they, what they do is pretty amazing. And, you know, they deal with a lot of different, uh, difficult circumstances and patients and, you know, man, that's a, that's a tough job, but we, uh, we saw firsthand kind of how, how important those people are. And, um, you know, we couldn't be more thankful for everybody that, you know, helped her through it. And, uh, but yeah, there's no doubt it was, it was, it was a, tough time and then so then when she got released from the hospital she still had major major restrictions because her immune system was still next to zero uh for quite a while it takes a while for that to build back up again so um yeah during the next couple months that she was home uh she still she she needed somebody with her 24 7 and um you know still had to kind of have the same parameters in terms of uh, food and germs and making sure everything's washed and cleaned and yeah, I mean all that it was, uh, but you know, we got, we got pretty used to it. We got, we had a pretty good system between, uh, me and her parents and my parents. And, um, 
yeah, we were able to kind of, we were able to get through it. It kind of became like a little bit of a new normal as unfortunate as it was, but, um, yeah, we, we made it through it. Well, and one of the things also that stuck out to me about the story was the the support you received from some of your uh, uh, playing peers as well. I was wondering if you could tell us about that. Yeah, I mean now that now that's uh, that's something that um, was really special for us. Uh, part of yeah, going back to Greenville when I had met with the tour um, and talked to them about it. You know, as part of my medical, you know, when, when guys go on a regular medical, there is usually a bit of a some financial assistance, you know, based on your prior year's play, you, you qualify for medical, you know, you get, you get paid a little bit and it's not on the R tour. It's, it's not much at all, but it, but it, you know, it's, it's something coming in and, you know, but for the, for this particular type of medical, since it wasn't my own, uh, it wasn't an injury to myself. Uh, we didn't qualify for that. So we were, yeah, I mean, we were looking, we were in a pretty, you know, it was going to be tough. I, I don't know how, or if we could have done it financially, I mean, these medical bills are intense and um, not to mention just trying to keep our lights on and all that. And, you know, it's kind of been written about, but uh, Scott Langley's a friend of mine here in Scottsdale and he was on the player board uh, at the time on our tour and they actually had a meeting in that week in Greenville and he brought up the idea to the, to the pact, um, you know, Hey, is there any way we can help the Harringtons out with some of the, you know, financially over the course of however long it may be. And then everybody to their credit, like everybody thought it was a great idea. The tour brass decided that they were, you know, going to do put their full, you know, the full weight of their tour and the PGA tour behind it and really try to help us out. And I remember when, you know, when Dan Glaude, the, commissioner i mean he told me that that was what they wanted to do i mean i my start i mean i started i'm not i'm not a crier and i i just i kind of started crying right right there and i was just like man this is this is crazy unbelievable that you guys want to do this and it and it took a huge burden off off of me i mean you know for her you know our our concern 100 percent was just doing whatever was necessary to get her better. And you kind of worry about the other, you know, the other things, how you're going to pay for, you know, all that you worry about all that later. I mean, the first and foremost is just let's get her healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean, on this tour, you know, I, I'm still, I'm still living year to year. Can't, can't afford to have a bad year and, um, you know, much less just stop playing. And so for them to do that was, crazy special but even at that point i still thought you know hey every little bit will help but i mean my expectations were i mean they wanted me to kind of try the best i could to budget out exactly what our that the rest of that year was going to look like with all our medical bills and living expenses and their goal i mean their goal was to was to get us covered for everything so essentially i could start out whenever i was able to come back pretty much be in the same financial situation that I was when I started it and um but I still thought that was extremely ambitious and I you know I just I I knew every bit would help but I mean I didn't have I had no clue that it would kind of take off the way it did and that people would really like rally so hard around us and there were some so yeah I mean the players obviously it started with players both on the PGA tour and and Corn Ferry um you know chipping in and 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 that all meant so much just because 
I know what it's like to be a player on this tour and we don't have a lot of disposable income and, you know, guys just chipping in, whether it's 20 bucks or 50 bucks and some, a lot more. I mean, there were guys, Sam Burns made an unbelievable pledge that, and I, I, I literally had never even met Sam Burns before. And, you know, I think the first week they had the fundraiser up, they, uh, you know, he, he pledged, I think it was a hundred dollars a birdie for the rest of the season. And that was, you know, there were still probably 12 or 15 events left in the year. I mean, like a gesture like that is just unbelievable, especially for somebody that, you know, you don't even, you don't even know. And, and then there were some, you know, some tournaments that, uh, did things for, you know, the, are they, our, our Omaha event did a, did a big thing, uh, a social event where they raised a bunch of money for us during the event. And, and then obviously uh, the LMA classic and Steph Curry came along right at the end of the season and kind of put us over the top of our goal. And I mean, just the, the whole thing, it still gets me emotional thinking about it. I've thanked guys a hundred times. I've, I mean, I just, we, we couldn't be more appreciative of the tour. I mean, the way they stepped up, um, you know, didn't just have the, had the idea to want to do this and then to put everything they had into it. And then, then there was stuff behind the scenes. I mean, they just stuff nobody that nobody else was aware of. I mean, the, just the, the weekly calls I'd get from our commissioner or other people with the tour guys who work on the truck, um, our operations truck. I mean, everybody just constantly checking in, making sure, you know, seeing how we're doing, making sure that, you know, we're doing okay you know, nobody forgot about us. Uh, it's, it's just a testament to this tour. You know, we, people have always talked about how this tour is very kind of like a family and, you know, much kind of closer knit than, the, than out, you know, on the PJ tour guys, everybody's kind of separate, kind of doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. And on our tour, I mean, everybody's just, yeah, we're competing against each other every week, but at the end of the day, I mean, we all care for each other and, you know, they, everybody just stepped up to, want to help us out and um and then i mean i'll always remember i actually came back and played one event in the last year i played the event in portland it kind of worked out with her she it was during a week when she was feeling pretty decent and didn't need you know she wanted me to go play and it's a special event for me just because it's in my hometown and um i went up there and like the reception the reception i got from the players was i couldn't I mean, it's hard to even put into words. I mean, I remember playing a practice round and guys who hadn't seen me in a long time, literally like walking across other holes to come over. They see me in the fairway on a hole. They like walk across the hole and like give me a hug and, you know, ask how things are going. And uh, I mean, it was the response was just crazy. And uh, it's something something that I will always cherish and never forget. And to everybody who contributed or prayed for us or you know all just all that stuff was just so appreciate appreciated and yeah man it's just yeah. it's pretty pretty darn special well i mean you and i have never met before and i was emotional watching the the corn fair the the, the event there in portland the winco uh, where you got your card and like reading about your story more made me even more emotional so i, I can't imagine the emotion that kind of went through that you went through with all that for somebody that's, you know, just a golf fan, they've kind of gotten the the smallest possible taste of it. I can only imagine 
uh, what it's like for you. But I mean, we've told this insane story to date, and we haven't really even touched on your your season this year, which is how you end up qualifying for the PGA Tour. I mean, at the end of 2018, with all this going on, and your and your wife starting to feel better right at the beginning of the season this year, and you go right back out and start playing with very little practice. How do you possibly get back in a golf mindset? What did did you have to change anything? Like, how did you go from all of that to playing the best golf of your life? Maybe. Well. It's kind of strange. Um, so throughout all of last, through, once I stepped away, more or less that entire year, I got out. I, now, I didn't get to play any golf. I mean, I played literally like zero holes. Um, but pretty much darn near every day, I would get out for like an hour. I mean, it's it was very little. And it, I wasn't grinding. Um, I was It was literally just like her, you know, somebody, you know, her parents or some somebody would come over take over for me and I'd run out to the golf course and I would just do something. And it, I mean, at the time it was more just to kind of clear my head a little bit and just, uh, just get, you know, just be able to step away for a minute. But I was able to just like hit, hit, you know, just hit some balls and um, it just kind of kept, kept me in it just, just a little bit. And, you know, and I, and I would periodically get to see my coach Boyd Summerhays. And I mean, we were, we were kind of, you know, I kind of was working on some stuff and, you know, towards, you know, when we were kind of getting, I was kind of getting ready to start the season. I really felt like, granted, I hadn't played any golf or I hadn't competed and I knew there was going to be rust, but I felt like I was kind of ready to go. It's the weirdest thing. I mean, I had a weird suspicion or not a suspicion, but just, I just, I, I knew, I had this feeling, I just knew this was going to be the year. And it, now, now barring, we had some hurdles to get over. We had to make sure, you know, she, uh, she had a, she had a scan that was coming up in April. I knew that was going to be a huge deal. Um, and I just knew like if things, if the, if that went our way and, and she was still cancer free and we were at, we were, and we could move forward after that, I just kind of knew that I, I was going to get it done this year. And I got off to a bad start. I missed the first three cuts I played all, you know, the Bahamas and Panama and Bogota. And, and I was definitely, I was competitively rusty. It, you know, I'd never really gone through a break like that um, in golf. And, but even through that, I just, it was just so strange. I mean, every year that I've been playing, I've always thought at the beginning of the year, like, oh, this is going to be the year, blah, blah, blah. But it was just strange. I mean, I just had this sense, no matter how maybe slow the start was, I just kind of had this sense that this was going to be the year. And I, now I didn't really think it was going to be in the regular season. I kind of figured I would just, you know, hey, make the make the finals, and you know, then I would get it done the finals, and and this was going to be it. But um, I don't know if it was divine intervention or karma or something. But um, I mean, it's kind of it's just crazy to and to do it. I know we'll probably talk about it more, but I mean, to do it like in my hometown with all of my family there, with you know, and friends, and with just everything that we've been through and to have her there and just, I mean, like there's storybook and then there's that. I'm I mean, just saying, like, it's like it's a just, movie, man. Like it, <laughs> it's, it's still it, it, as recent as it is. It's, it's still hard for me to believe that, that, that this is the way it's uh, that this is the way it happened. And this is the way it's turned out. I mean, you know, 38 year old PGA tour rookie, you know, coming off, you know, just kind of, we've been through hell and back in the last couple of years. And, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to believe. 
Well, so coming into Portland, I, you're locked up for your status for Corn Ferry next year. So you're you're freewheeling in a certain way, but at the same time, like you got to finish. I don't know how it ended up playing out, but I, I at minimum, I think you needed a top two, right? I don't think third would have done it. So, so at at the beginning of the week, I needed like if everybody around the cut, if every, if the absolute minimum I needed was a solo third, and that that is with you know, kind of everybody on the bubble missing the cut. And I mean, I think I was a couple hundred points or I think I was maybe a hundred, I don't know how, maybe 180 points back of 25th spot in a solo third gets you 190. So like at an absolute minimum, if everything fell right, the solo third was it. I kind of was going into the week, you know, as, you know, assuming I needed a piece of second, but it really at that point, now I knew I was, I had been playing well. I'd had a, you know, I'd had a third a few weeks prior, um, then I had a 28th and 11th the week before, you know, I really liked how my game was. Um, but still, you know, when you're a second place finish away, I mean, that's, that's not, you know, that, that's, that's a, that's a damn good week. And, but I had, you know, with my situation, I can't remember, I was about 38 on the points list, I think. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was truly like a go for broke, uh, week. I mean, I, you know, I was kind of quoted saying, you know, Hey, like, sixth place doesn't do anything for me eighth place doesn't do anything for me um i just wanted to go out there and play i was playing well enough to be to play real aggressively and uh you know got put myself in a really good position after friday and then things got kind of real because you know when you're starting the week i wasn't really feeling pressure i was just kind of freewheeling it and um but then hey now, now you're now I'm in the final group on Saturday and, um, you know, with a, put my, putting myself in a legitimate spot to, to, uh, make this happen. But I still had, you know, I still had a lot of golf left and, um, let's well, just say you can, you can come in saying you're freewheeling it, but like you've said there, I mean, like it's now you're dealing with nerves. Like it's a real thing, yes. but it's right there for you. I mean, yeah. were you going into Sunday, say, were you more nervous than any other moment in your career? I was more nervous on Saturday. Okay, and and, it, and I don't, and I don't know why. I can't explain. It. I was very nervous on Saturday to start. Uh, my I remember my my appetite starting Friday evening pretty much went to zero. Uh, you know, there was a lot of anxiety around that Saturday round. I mean, I just knew you know people had kind of turned out for me all week. They always kind of do when I play that event. You know, we don't have a lot of professional golfers from Portland, and you know, we they kind of. They'd, yeah, they'd been out cheering hard all week, and I knew, you know, Saturday I get to the first tee, and there's a few hundred people just around the tee box, you know, waiting to watch me tee off, and, you know, and I don't know most of them, and, you know, I, it was just everything was kind of amplified, and uh, yeah, I was very nervous, but I came out on Saturday, despite the nerves, and, and got off to, a, I was like three under through four, and just like didn't miss a shot, and um, with, the, with, with all those nerves, and ended up playing a really good round, I shot 65, and to be able to to be able to do that with all those nerves that I was feeling gave me a lot of confidence for Sunday. Now I still expected to be extremely nervous on Sunday, but just with how I handled everything that day, I I just I felt like it was just my time and I just felt like I wasn't going to let anybody kind of take it from me. I just I just kind of had this Now granted I was still barely eating, and uh, you know, very nervous. I wasn't like that comfortable, but it was just a feeling I had that Sunday was going to go really well for me, but it was still such a weird situation starting Sunday because I'm trying to, I'm in the final group and I'm trying to win the golf tournament, but yet I can't drop very far at all. 
but stepping up to the first tee on Sunday, I was weirdly comfortable. I was just kind of ready to go. And I, and I definitely, I was not shaking on the first tee shot or anything like I was on Saturday. I just felt, I felt like I was playing great and I'm going to go out there and get it done. And I, you know, look, I only shot two under, um, wasn't my best round of the week, but I mean, I, I played awfully well and more importantly, just hit some really big shots down the stretch kind of in the most, you know, the most intense moments. And it's something that I'll be able to, if that, that might be the most difficult round off to play in my entire career. I mean, that might be to be able to come through, you know, in, in that moment is something I will always be able to have in the back of my mind. I mean, that I just don't know if I will ever play under that much pressure, even the final round of a major, if I, if I, you know, hopefully get in contention in one, I don't know if like, I mean, this is literally playing for my career, trying to accomplish something that I've strived for my entire, my entire life, whether from a kid to playing 16 years as a pro and to be able to come through and accomplish that. I, don't, I, I truly don't know if like anything will ever approach that in terms of, uh, in terms of nerves and how much is riding on it. I mean, when you're in contention, a major, okay, you, maybe you don't win. You still make the shit ton of money and you, you know, you're like, it's like, Hey, you just move on. I mean, I'm at a point, you know, I'm still living year to year and, you know, wondering if I'm, yeah, there's doubt whether I'm going to get there and um, you you don't know how many opportunities you're going to have like this. And yeah, I mean, I was able to, to come up with the shots and the putts when I needed them. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm always going to have that in the bank. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, we, we emphasize this as whenever we get a chance to as well, but like, I know you've had more career earnings on many tours and things like that, but your career earnings from PGA tour being at the web.com tour or corn Ferry or nationwide is just, I think 784,000. And if you mm-hmm. retain your card next year, you'll more, you'll more than double that career earning total next year. Like that's how much more of a oh, yeah. possibility there is out there on the PGA tour for you. And it's, it's starting soon. I mean, that's, I, I want to give people and those listening something to look forward to this fall. I mean, we're going to, we're in the week of the tour championship and the amount of money that's being handed out this week is just absolutely insane. But the new season's starting very, very quickly, and a lot of the, the graduates from the Corn Ferry Tour are going to be stacking these fields and playing for you know more money than they've ever played for in their entire lives, and it's going to be yeah. really, really awesome to watch. But coming down the stretch on that 18th hole, I mean, you just did you just gas that driver on 18 hard? I mean, what's how much effect did I adrenaline did. have on that shot? Well, interestingly enough, I, I actually tried to kind of so it, it, it's a it's a hard tee shot in the sense that you have all this environmentally sensitive area to the left it's just it's hazard that you can't play out of and but you nearly need if you want to have a good shot in that green you need to kind of challenge that left side a little bit and fortunately i was kind of hitting nice draws all week with my driver you know you can certainly kind of bail out to the right but it makes it a much tougher second shot you kind of have to cut it around these trees and um but no i mean i've fortunately i've kind of always hit that tee shot pretty well and i i hit a great tee shot but i was actually trying to smooth it a little bit more i mean i wasn't you know i was trying to kind of stay composed and just kind of put a good you know kind of smoothish swing on it but yeah i mean i caught it and fortunately you know, i'm kind of you know lengthwise i'm kind of in the upper you know probably 10 percent and um yeah i got it down there a really long ways and i only had i had a perfect angle in didn't really have to hit any kind of you know, i couldn't really hit a draw but i didn't i just had, kind of had to keep one straight and uh you know i only I had 203 to the front and 207 to the hole and um, but that, that pin as, as you know, you guys probably saw on TV, I mean, there can be some crazy, there's no good miss on that hole except short, 
you need to hit that thing right you need to hit that in online but keep it short of the hole that's and that pin for the nervy shots that have to happen um, on that green is it's it's cruel really it is it really is and you know i unfortunately um you know i watched i, I was in the fairway and we had a delay i i i watched um vince india have have his prop have some problems there but i knew i mean i've played this event enough times and i've played this course enough times i mean i kind of i knew the deal with that pin you can't hit it if you hit it in that right bunker you have to play away from the hole or else you know you're kind of risking what what happened to him and if you miss it left you know you, you have this you have some really tricky shots down there so even though i knew once i you know once i saw that vince had had some pr- trouble i mean i knew that i could make par and um finish solo third which was going to do it for me um but still that's a that's a shot that has given me fits over the years. I just any to any pin on that green, I've hit so few good shots into that green. You know, and you certainly know all this in the back of your mind. I mean, yeah, there's the pod, there's the positive self talk and all that, but I mean, hey, it's a shot I've struggled with. There's no doubt, and I was just fortunate to have a perfect number. I was hitting a six iron, and I had a perfect number where I could hit a good full little baby cut six to to keep in and it should not get past the front edge because that's when the trouble kind of comes in. If you get it off, if you hit it too far, or if you, you know, it's probably not, it's, it's going to go somewhere where it's awfully tough up and down and you could, you could look a little bit silly. I hit the shot. I mean, it's the best shot of my life. I hit just, I held this six iron that just stayed dead straight, stayed right at it and finished about two inches off the green, right on the front edge. And I had about 12 feet for Eagle, you know, at that point I only needed three putts to get my card and I just whisked that putt up there at about six inches and <laughs> tapped that thing in. And, uh, I, there, there wasn't even a thought in my mind about trying to make that Eagle putt. That was, uh, the bet, the, the probably the most satisfying six inch putt I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and what, I mean, your wife comes out on the green golf channel, just zooms in on you guys and doesn't say a word, but what's said between you and your wife at that moment? Oh man. I mean, so I, tapped in you know i i remember i just i was in a little bit of disbelief after i hold out and i know they kind of kept the camera on me and i've seen the clip and you know i just i went over the side of the green and i just i remember i just squatted down and closed my eyes and i just couldn't it hit me just like a rush i mean just everything everything we've been through and well i mean kind of my my whole career this taking this long and then like everything that we've been to the last two years. And I just sat there for probably 30 seconds while my playing partner was finishing. And it just, it was a pretty amazing feeling. And then I remember we, we were shaking hands on the green and then I just got really, I was just pumped and I'd let out a big hole said something, you know, yelled something, come on or something like that. And I was all excited and we're walking off the green and then she starts, I see her and she starts walking towards me. And I remember I just kind of, I just kind of went limp, I feel like, and I just kind of fell into her and, you know, I think she was crying and, you know, see how we're hugging and, you know, I just remember she, she she's kind of like crying and laughing, you know, so happy. And I remember she said to me, she's like, we're going to the PGA tour. And I was just squeezing her probably way too hard. And I just, I, I just told her, I, I love you so much. And, um, when we kind of stopped hugging, you know, I, I walk, I walk a little more off the green and my brother's there and some of my best friends and my parents and, you know, other players are sitting there 
um, right behind the green and, um, you know, everybody, how ha- I could just tell like how happy other players were for me. I think they just kind of respect, respect the journey of me doing this for so long. And, um, you know, obviously they know everything we've been through and to see how happy everybody was and to do it in front of so many people that played a big role in getting me there. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. I still, every time I see the clip, I still get shivers. Um, I'll never, uh, never forget that moment. Oh, unbelievable. (laughs) Intense. No, (laughs) it's, it's insane. I mean, every time I start to get, you know, a little discouraged about the direction of pro golf or, you know, kind of the oversaturation of things on the PGA tour, it's, you know, dreams do come true. Like it's, it's a, and that's the part of the, of the game that I think all of us love the most. And, I'm curious. Yeah. And and I I think that's why, you know, like, so our story obviously like took off a little bit. And I mean, I way more than I ever expected. I mean, obviously it's always a golf story. They, they reported on the golf channel, but the way, the way things kind of took off nationally and it just, you know, went all over news broadcasts and um, ESPN and, you know, today show, like today show, like I think people are attracted to that. You know, there's so much, just the story and the journey and accomplishing goals and going through adversity and, you know, just people in this day and age of, you know, so many negative, everything's so negative and combative. And it's just like to see a truly, like a truly a, a great story that, um, you know, can inspire people, whether it's, you know, whether it's sticking with your, you know, sticking with your goals and just pushing and pushing through or the personal, you know, the personal struggles that everybody, you know, everybody deals with stuff. And, um, I, 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 I can see why people would be, you know, attracted to it, but it's, it's still, it's hard to believe that it's, you know, been kind of come through for us and that, you know, we're the ones that everybody kind of wants to, you know, read read about or see a story about. And, um, yeah, it's pretty nice. No, it's, it's truly inspiring. I'm curious though, what, uh, with the PGA tour season right around the corner here, what are you looking forward to the most about PGA tour life? courtesy cars <laughs> that's up there for sure you know like literally last week in columbus i show up at avis i get there i'm getting i get in late at night and i have a reservation and i walked i walk up there and they don't have any cars and i'm like what the hell i just made this reservation eight hours ago how are there no cars so no i mean that's uh, there's no uh there's no question um yeah courtesy cars will be very nice <laughs> um but however with that said I think everybody in whatever, you know, whatever you do in life, in business, in sports, you always want to compete against the best if you're a competitor and which I am and everybody that does this is, and you want to, you want to go against the best. You want to see how you stack up. And that's, that's absolutely, uh, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. And I mean, look, there's people kind of do shy away from talking about, the financial aspect of it, but I'm realistically, I've, you know, I'm, I'm 38 years old and I'm looking for, I want to, I worry about, you know, I want to set my family up. I want to, I want to be, I want to, I don't want to be, you know, live year to year. And I'm looking forward to playing great and giving my family security. And, uh, um, you know, that's a big part of, you know, I don't, you know, when I was a lot younger, it was, Oh, I want to be number one in the world. I want to be number one in the world. Um, you know, at this point in my life, I'm not trying to be number. I, I, yeah, I still think I can be a great player on PJ Tour for a long, for a for quite a while, well into my 40s. And 
Um, but I don't have these like dreams of being number one in the world anymore. I want to be, I want to be successful and I want to do what I love. And I know what it's like to be low, real low on cash and worrying about, uh, you know, entry fees. And, you know, I've been kind of at the depths of professional golf and played all the mini tours. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly a side that, um, you know, there's obviously some great opportunities out there in that regard, but also, you know, beyond that, the, the golf courses and, um, you know, this tour, I've always felt like my game, uh, tra- will translate a lot better to the PGA tour than it does the corn Ferry, mainly just because the golf courses, I'm kind of, I'm, you know, I'm the, my ball striking and driving is, is the strength of my game. And, um, you know, when it put me on a 7,400 yard golf course with rough and, uh, a lot of trees and I, I like my chances. So that's the, that's probably, uh, that's probably what I'm looking forward to. Well, on that note, I mean, like you don't, you don't, you know, put yourself through all the years of the entry fees and all that to hope to break even, you know what I mean? Like you do it, it's a risk so that you can have a great financial payout. I don't think there's any issue. I don't think anyone has any issue with anyone addressing that or saying that. I mean, it's, you don't do it for 16 years, you know, thinking like, Oh, well, hopefully one day I'll make six figures. It's no, we, it's time now to, you know, to really cash in on the, on the hard work you've made. So get out there and uh, make a bunch of cuts and make it happen and uh, stay out there for a long time. And it's going to for sure happen. Yep. I certainly, uh, I certainly hope so. That's what I'm looking forward to. All right, man, we're going to let you go. This was a little longer than I was planning to take you, um, but that's an incredible, incredible story, and I know you've told it a lot of times over the last few weeks, but we really, really appreciate you uh, sharing it here, and you got I can't ima- I can imagine a large, large number of the people that downloaded this one are going to be uh, rooting for you and your family uh, going forward, so thanks for taking the time. Well, I certainly appreciate it, and I uh, look forward to coming back on. Hopefully, uh, we can tackle some, you know, tackle some lighter topics and, there you and go. joke around a little bit and hopefully, uh, you know, talk about some success I'm having out there on tour. But I, but no, I, re- I really appreciate you guys having me on and, uh, you know, letting me tell, tell my story and just kind of everything we've been through. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's real special to, you know, kind of be getting, you know, be getting some of this recognition and, you know, I've been doing it a long time and pretty much in anonymity and, um, you know, it's very, very cool for us. And, uh, you know, we appreciate you guys, um, telling our story. Well, I'm also on that note, obligated to tell you, um, to tell your brother, he will not be receiving any discount on any merchandise, <laughs> uh, for his ambush marketing and wearing the no laying up visor, uh, at the final round in Portland. So I, I you know, I, I was joking about, that. I saw him, I think that morning I was like, is that no laying up visor? He's like, yeah. He's like, uh, you know, usually he's kind of company man out there rocking my, you know, rocking ping. <laughs> The Ping Headwear, you know, Team Harrington Ping, and uh, or you know, our home club in Portland. But I was like, oh, nice, that's yeah. solid. But uh, well, yeah, again, there will not be any discounts for that. Just want to make it very clear <laughs> that would be illegal. So, but uh, no problem, Scott. Thanks for the time again, man, and best of luck. We'll speak soon. All right, thanks, Ollie. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. Honey, that's. Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.